You're watching KCMI TV. Well, thank you for joining me. And uh, I want to just take this time, actually, the subject that I want to talk about today. Um, there's whole books written on this. So I want to just try to extract some points that I felt like came up in my spirit. And I want to talk about what Jesus recovered at Calvary. And when you go back to the scriptures, um, we know we have the first Adam that we find in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve. And then in the New Testament, the Bible calls Jesus, not the second Adam, but the last Adam. Because if there was a second Adam, there could have been a third, there could have been a fourth. Jesus was the last Adam because he was gonna completely repair and restore everything that the first Adam lost. And so that's why Christ could say, it is finished and I am the first and I am the last. And so I wanna talk about uh, five or six things that Adam lost that sometimes we don't realize what happened at Calvary was all about recovering what was lost to man in the Garden of Eden. And uh, first of all, the Bible says that Adam, when he was created, God looked at him and he said, I am giving you dominion. It means authority. He said, I am giving you dominion over everything that breathes and moves on the earth. He said, all of it will be under your authority. When you go to the New Testament uh, and Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the Gospels, uh, he looks at Jesus and he said, you know, I'll give you uh, this authority for it was given to me. And so the devil did not take Adam's authority. Adam gave it to him. When he ate of the fruit, the moment he ate of the fruit, he lost his dominion and he gave it to the serpent. When Jesus came on the scene at Calvary, one of the things that he did was he took back as the second Adam the authority that the first Adam gave to the devil. And this is why Jesus could say, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And then in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, Jesus is looking at his disciples, and boy, I love this, he said, I am giving you authority. And then he says this, to tread on serpents. What was it in, the, in Genesis that came against as the enemy against Adam? It was the serpent. So Jesus comes back, he goes all the way back, he's referring now, he said, what the first Adam fell to, he said, I am giving you back the authority or the dominion. And he said, I'm gonna let you tread on serpents. Remember in the, New, in the Old Testament, the Lord spoke this. He said, uh, the devil will bruise the heel, but the seed of the woman would bruise the head. And this is what the Lord is saying. He said, I'm giving you power, authority to tread on the serpent's head. And so one of the things at Calvary was that God recovered authority. Uh, the second thing that I think about is Adam, when he was created, he had complete access to the presence of the Lord. God was in that garden. 
And Adam was, anytime he wanted to, he could have access to the presence of God. He lived in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that he walked in the cool of the day. And I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be in the physical presence of the Almighty, but Adam had that. When um, Adam sinned, in Genesis chapter, I think it's um, chapter 3, uh, the very last verse, it says this, that when Adam sinned, uh, it says God drove Adam out of the garden. What he lost was his access to the presence of the Lord. Man could no longer be in the presence of God. So now you go to the New Testament, and one of the things that it talks about, uh, it's mentioned in several places, but in Luke 27, uh, it says this, that when Jesus died, that in the temple, in Herod's temple, you had, you had the outer court, the holy place, and the holiest of holies. And man couldn't go into the holiest of holies, except once a year, the high priest could go in there for a little bit, and he had to go through all kinds of qualifications in order to go into there, because man couldn't come in the presence of the Lord. That's where the Spirit of God dwelt between the cherubims above the mercy seat. So there was a veil, and this was a very, very large veil. Uh, some historians say it was like four inches thick, and. Uh, 60 feet long and it's like 30 feet tall. It was a very, very large veil. And the scripture says that when Jesus died and he satisfied the courts of heaven and that what had kept man out of the presence of the Lord, Christ now has paid that price. The scripture says that at Calvary, the veil was rent. What was happening? Where God had drove man out of his presence in the Garden of Eden, now God is removing that veil that kept man from him. And he is saying now through Calvary, man has unlimited access, hallelujah, into the presence of God that you and I at any time, it doesn't matter if we're on vacation, watching TV, riding in the car, it doesn't matter if we're at work, at any moment, you and I have access to the presence of God. That is one of the things that Christ recovered at Calvary. All right, and we go back to the book of Genesis. And when Adam fell, uh, you know, the Lord had told him, he said, you know, you can eat of everything in the garden. This garden had such a blessing on it. And one of the reasons why is because there were no thorns or thistles. Uh, there weren't any weeds. There wasn't anything in the earth that withheld the full fruit of what was going to come up. And so when Adam would go out, everything was lush. It was abundant. When Adam fell into sin, the Lord looked at him and he said, from now on, he said, thorns are gonna be an enemy to your harvest. And he said, by the sweat of your brow, you're gonna to have to till the soil 
And what used to be easy now is going to be hard because there's a devourer loose that should not have been there, but it came because of sin. Now you go to the New Testament. And the scripture says that when Jesus has been arrested, man, I like this. When Jesus was arrested, he's now, we don't realize it, but everything that Jesus is doing that is prophetic, it is deliberate. Everything about Calvary is about restoring, taking back what man lost. So the scripture says that the enemy took a crown of thorns and he put it on the head of Jesus. Now remember, Jesus is the last Adam. Remember what the Lord said in the Old Testament? He said, by the sweat of your brow, he said, the thorns are going to be the devourer. So Christ allows the crown of thorns, the curse. There were so many curses that came on Adam because of this sin. The Lord is breaking the curse of the devourer off of his people. And when that crown of thorns came on the brow of Christ, the devourer was broken. And this is why he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he who gives an abundance shall reap in abundance. This is why you and I are blessed, is because God broke the devourer. So as a believer, if we live in harmony and we're in symphony with the scriptures and we're a tither, you're not gonna be broke. You're not, you don't eat your seed, you're just, you plant it and then God gives the increase. So this was, this was what the Lord was doing when that crown came on him. He was breaking the devourer off of your life. In uh, the Genesis with Adam before he sinned, the Bible says he was innocent. They didn't even know they were naked. They lived in absolute innocence. Uh, there's, you know, one of the things that plagues us as believers is the enemy will try to come in and make us feel guilty. But with, with Adam, uh, he'd never sinned. He didn't know what sin was. This is why the Lord said, no need of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because I don't want you to know about the ugly side. I don't want you to know about the demonic activity. I don't want you to know about the serpent or the devil. And so Adam only thought in the realm of righteousness. Innocence, he was encased in innocence. So when he fell, immediately, the Bible says that he lost his innocence. His eyes were open. It's not talking about his natural eyes. It's talking about the eyes of his soul, his will, his mind, and his emotions. He now is filled with the knowledge of good and evil. When you are filled with the knowledge of two things that are diametrically opposite, it also then creates choice. See, Adam didn't have a choice before in the sense of, you know, do I want to sin, do I not want to sin, because innocence ruled in him. So he lost his innocence. So now when you come back to Christ at Calvary, he is going to restore the innocence of the believer. This is why Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so then you go over to 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter five, it says this, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new 
creature or a new creation. And so when you and I are born again through the blood of Calvary, God gives us back our innocence. So you and I don't walk around with this heavy load, this burden of guilt on us that's constantly saying, you're a horrible person and God hates you and you're not worthy of the Lord and you're going to hell. No, we live in innocence. We are cleansed, hallelujah, by the blood of the lamb. And so it's a beautiful thing to see what God does. Um, another thing that I want to talk about is the scripture talks about that Christ had on a, a garment. His outer garment, the Bible says, that the soldiers uh, parted four ways. But that other garment that he had on, that, that beautiful garment, it, the scripture says it was one piece, but it was the covering of Christ. And we know that, that Christ's covering is symbolic of righteousness. And so, when the soldiers looked at that covering, they couldn't, they could not tear it. They could not break it. They could not divide it. They were held back by a prophetic utterance out of the Old Testament that says, and they cast lots for his garment. See, the garment for Christ there represents the covering that Christ had. When he died, he then gave you and I that garment that the enemy could not tear. And the garment that you and I wear today is the garment of righteousness. We're clothed, the Bible talks about it. Remember it says the robe of righteousness. Hallelujah. And so our robe is not, it doesn't have holes in it. The enemy can't come in and get us and, and inflict on us uh, things that would wound us because we are encased or we are clothed with the garment of Christ. That's why the garment could not be torn. It had to stay intact. The, the last thing that I want to talk to you about, and this is a beautiful thing to see in the scriptures, but um, in the Old Testament, when the Lord was getting ready to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, and it, I always find it interesting, God does so many things at night. And uh, he told Moses, he said, at midnight, he said, I'm getting ready to loose the death angel into not just the land of Egypt, but also in the land of Goshen. He said, everyone, whether you're Egyptian or Israelite, if you do not have the blood applied to your house, then the death angel is going to come in and kill the firstborn. And so the scripture says that they were instructed to take the blood of a lamb, and to take hyssop and dip it in the blood and then go to the front door of their house and strike the two side posts and the lintel, which is a type of the cross. And of course, the door representing the heart that we have. And when they took the hyssop with the blood and they struck the door posts and the lintel, then when, and then they went into the house because the lamb was in the house. And this is why Paul talks about, he says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He said, you got to eat all the lamb that night. Don't leave anything left over. So when the death angel comes through uh, the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, every house that he sees with the blood on the doorpost that was put on there with hyssop, he passed by. This is why it's called Passover. 
So now you go to the New Testament, and a lot of times we read what happens here and we just overlook it, but Christ is hanging on the cross. And uh, the f first time, uh, you know, he said, I thirst, and they offered him some uh, wine, sour wine mixed with a, a drug that would dull the pain, and he, and he would not take it because he had to be in full possession of all of his senses because he understood that what I'm going through, I have to pay the price because the sin is so great. But when he had hung on the cross, at the end, the Bible said that um, he thirsted and that they came to him again, but this time uh, it did not have the, the gall in it, but it was a sour wine. And of course we know at the Last Supper, Jesus, when he held up the cup of wine, he said, this is my blood. He was using a, an analogy. He said there's synergy between the wine and the cup and the blood of the lamb. So here he is, he's hanging on the cross, and what is now being taken place in the spirit realm and before the court of heaven is that the blood, hallelujah, has to be applied for all mankind to be absorbed of his sin and become a new creation. So when he said, I thirst, here's what's being fulfilled. They said, it said that they took hyssop and they took a sponge and filled it with the sour wine and they put, and then they took the sponge and they dripped it on the hyssop. So you see the connection now. You see the blood being put on the hyssop and then it's being applied to the lamb. Christ, <laughs> Man, this moves my spirit. Christ was going back and he was recovering. He was fulfilling everything that had to be done. So it wasn't just about giving him a drink. He was going back and he was fulfilling the type and the shadow of what happened at Passover as he hung on the cross. They hiss it, put in the blood, the sour wine, put on the lips of the lamb. He drank it. He said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. So when you look at what Jesus went through at Calvary, it wasn't just him dying. He was going through specific things he was going back and he was addressing specific things that would allow him to recover what the first Adam lost, the second Adam now recovers. Well, I hope this has blessed you. <laughs> Made me cry, and uh, I'm teaching it, but it moves me to think about what the Lord did. So I want you to remember this, no condemnation, we are innocent in the Lord. The blood has been provided. The devourer has been broken. We're clothed, hallelujah, with an impenetrable covering. Our innocence has been recovered. Our authority has been restored.
This is why you and I can live triumphant in Christ. Well, God bless you. I love you. i see you next week. For more information about Kent Christmas Ministries International or Regeneration Nashville, go to kentchristmas.org or regenerationnashville.org. And for the latest updates or videos, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube. God bless you.